Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. All right, I'm excited to uh, be back preaching after not preaching last week. And we are starting a mini-series. We're going to spend the next couple weeks looking at what it means for us to do life together. Uh, this week will be in Hebrews 10, 19. If you have a copy of Scripture, uh, you go ahead and open it there. On that note, uh, the church that was just out here that helped us do our BBS and our disc golf tournament, they have bought everyone at this church one study Bible. So some of you I've given those to you. You're like, what is a study Bible? It's not a Bible you're probably going to carry week in and week out. They're really big, and, but the idea is it has extra notes and commentary, and it helps explain the Scriptures to you. Uh, so it's a really great resource and tool. And so we have one for everyone, all the way like a kid's version, a teenage version, and an adult version. Uh, but in addition to that, they bought us just some really nice Bibles that you would carry week in and week out. So if you're like, hey, I don't have a Bible, or hey, my, I'd like a new Bible, or I notice you preach from a different version than the one I do own, um, we have those for you. And so just let me know if you would uh, like one. Well, Hebrews 10, 19, and we'll be in just a moment. Uh, millennials, my generation and many of yours, and Gen Z, the one behind me, are the uncommitted generation. Why is this? We don't like to be locked down into anything. And that includes where we live, our careers, what we do, who, who we date or don't date, who we marry, and where we worship. In the words of Brett McCracken, we are the FOMO generation. Preferring to keep our options open rather than committing to something or someone and foreclosing other possibilities. We are the generation that chooses comfort over covenant and commitment. But for followers of Jesus, it should be the other way around. The church is more than a weekend event that you attend that you kind of keep optional. Like, do I partake or do I not? However, this doesn't mean that when we gather what we're doing this morning, that's unimportant. I would actually argue, and if you know me, you're like, okay, I hear this coming, Matt. That gathering as a church is a really big deal. I would say it's essential for our discipleship to, to follow the way of Jesus to gather together. But it's also a foretaste. It's a sample. I've used this, this analogy before, example before. Like, I love Thanksgiving. I love cooking the Thanksgiving meal. And as I'm prepping all of my dishes, and if you cook your meal, you know what you do, right? You, you, you take a little bit and you try it. How is this? You're oh, that is so good. I can't wait until we all sit down to eat the full meal. And so when we gather as a church, it's a sample. It's a foretaste of eventually what we're, we're going to be doing around the presence of God with people from all tribes, tongues, and nations as we surround the throne and worship. Unfortunately, in our culture... I say in our culture, meaning broadly in the, in the United States, and there may be some others, but there's this misconception about the Christian life. And here it is. It's something that we do as individuals. But Scripture is clear that we are meant to do life together. You're not meant to do this journey of following Jesus by yourself. Because not only have we been saved to a Savior, right? We do have that vertical relationship with God, but he actually designed it so that we have one another. We've been saved to, in Sojourn's word, a family. <clears throat> I've got a guilty pleasure confession. 
I thought my wife would be in the room this morning, but she's not. She's with the kids, and so I don't know if she'd want me to say this or not, but Guilty Pleasure Confession is we, I was going to say I, but we enjoy watching the show Married at First Sight. And so we're currently watching the newest season on Netflix, and what I enjoy about this show, if you have seen it, is you, you get these people who apply basically to get married. They're like, I'm done dating. Uh, in this current season, everyone's around my age, like mid-30s. They're like, I'm, I'm over it. I'm done with the apps and all that. And so they apply, and they're hopeful that the experts will do a really good job of matching them with the right life partner and the right spouse. I see Ben put his arm around his almost <laughs> bride. He's like, I didn't have to do that, thankfully. <laughs> so you get all of these single adults who long to be married, and they get matched with somebody. Now, what's, what I enjoy about it is throughout the season, as you're watching this, you see the kind of their ideas and ideals are sometimes met. Like, well, this is the type of person I want. Like, I want an adventurous person. And I want someone who's like this and somebody who's independent and all these things. But oftentimes, and as we all know, if you're in a relationship, and if, especially if you're in a marriage, a lot of times ideas and ideals are not met. And it leaves you questioning. In this case of the show, I'm not advocating this, but the whole, the whole premise is like, after eight weeks, do you stay together or do you get a divorce? And that's kind of, kind of what they're going at. But what the couples learn in this process is they aren't necessarily always the most compatible. But if they stick in there, and you kind of watch this as, as a spectator as you're watching the show, oftentimes they make a great combination. And they start to learn, like, oh, wait a minute, we're different, but we complement one another. There's, there's this, this combo that, that allows us to stretch one another, but it's a healthy dynamic, which I would argue that's probably most healthy marriages. That, that's my own marriage. When people meet Andrea, they're like shocked that when I can miss her to marry me. But they kind of look at us, they're like, whoa, you guys are entirely different. But I think the longer that I'm married, 16 years now, we're like, wow, we really do compliment one another. And now comp compatibility does matter. So especially for the single people in the room, like compatibility does matter. I'm not saying it doesn't, especially when it comes to finding a spouse. Just as it does when it comes to finding and committing to a local church. But it isn't everything. Commitment matters more than compatibility, especially once you are entered into, in the case that show, the marriage. And so the author of Hebrews this morning, this isn't a, a Hebrew series, I would love to go through this book sometime, but um, the author of Hebrews begins our text with this beautiful picture of who it is that we are in Christ, where we are in Christ, and that because of that relationship, we now have access to God. And so in light of the gospel, he will then give us four exhortations on how it is that we should live in light of our new position that we have been given in Christ. And so that's the main point of our sermon this morning. It's how do we live our lives out of our position that we have in Christ towards encouraging, loving, and stirring one another on to good works. And so number one this morning, we have access to God because of the work of Christ. I'm going to read verses 19 through 22 of Hebrews 10. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Now, this text doesn't hit the same way for us that it would have for his original audience. The original audience would have known the cultural background and, and the references to the Old Testament, which they're talking about this inner place, this place called the Holy of Holies. It's a sacred place, a place where the presence of God was said to dwell. 
It was so special, and we've gone over this before in another text, but it was so special that only one man, a priest, would enter into this place one time a year to make sacrifices for the sins of the people at Yom Kippur. And so the, the high priest would draw near to the presence of God at the temple in the Holy of Holies. Now the Holy of Holies was this, it's this inner part of the sanctuary, and it contained what was known as the Ark of the Covenant, and that's where the presence of God would appear. Now, in front of the Holy of Holies, they had this huge veil that the thing I can think of, and I'm sure it looked totally different than this, but I can think of like a curtain at a, at a stage, right, at a show. Like there's this huge veil that separated the people and the priests from the presence of God. And the reason is because God is absolutely holy, and we are not. And you can't just roll up on the presence of God. And so there's a story in the Old Testament. This is a crazy story where the Ark of the Covenant was about to fall over. So I don't know how big the Ark of the Covenant was, but I can imagine, uh, you know, they're carrying this, 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 this Ark of the Covenant, and it's about to fall over, and this person, out of the goodness of their heart, like, they want to catch it, and immediately the person was struck dead because they couldn't handle the presence of God. And so you need to be careful when you approach the presence of God, so they put this veil in front of it, right? We don't want people running around thinking like, oh, I'm going to do this thing a favor, and then, and then they're, they're falling dead. And so once a year at Yom Kippur, the high priest would kill a goat, and he would carefully and slowly enter the Holy of Holies. He would carefully and slowly offer this blood sacrifice for the atonement of sins for all the people. Now, naturally so, you can imagine the high priest would have been very nervous, right? This is, this is one of those, if, you know, if I'm in a room full of pastors, and they're like, who wants to do this? I'm like, I don't know if I actually want to, I'm like, I'm going to go to the back of the line, like, I'm not here, this, oh, I got a cold order, right? So they would actually tie a rope around their waist, and so in the event that they might drop dead, right? So if they didn't have any sin, that maybe they had unconfessed sin in their lives or they had something going on, and so they would slowly enter it, you know, and, and, and they've got the rope back there in the event that this would happen. So I imagine there's a mixture, like if you got chosen, like maybe a little bit of excitement and your family's like, woo, and then they're like, I will never see you again, you know? Like there's this anxiety that would come up as well. And so as the high priest would draw near closer to God in the Holy of Holies, there's a word that they used to describe it that was uh, it's prosertamine. And it's the same phrase used multiple times in Hebrews to this, describe this drawing near to God, drawing close to God. Another one I'm going to give you is Hebrews 4.16. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So here's what the author is saying. All believers including us, can now with confidence draw near to the presence of God. Something that was one time only reserved for one man who tied a rope around his waist for fear that he might die, you and I can now freely do that. I mean, we've been doing that this morning. Ben's leading some songs, and we are approaching the presence of God. I don't think any of you had a fear that you were going to die during the songs. Ben's not tying his guitar cable around his waist in the event that he falls dead while he's leading us. And so something that was once, that was sheepishly do for fear of dying, we now with confidence, we don't have to do it with fear. We have confidence because of Jesus and what Jesus did. And so this is the reason that we are able to, to, to enter the presence of God with confidence. That Jesus, the, the veil that the temple had separated before, it was ripped in half at the cross whenever he was crucified. When his blood was shed, it, it ripped it where there was no longer this separation between us and between the presence of God. He made a way for all people. 
at all times and all places. There's no longer this separation. And so as a result, you and I can safely and securely and confidently draw near to the presence of God. I think about this, this is probably really not that great of an example, but have you ever snuck into somewhere that you weren't supposed to be? I'm thinking like maybe a concert or a party or even a wedding, you know, wedding crashers, anyone? Like you, you, you get in that situation and you're there and you're like enjoying it, but you're also fearful you're going to be found out, right? One of my favorite bands to this day, I snuck into the concert when I saw them. Don't tell Andrea that. She thinks I've never sinned or anything, but I snuck into the concert. It was like 10 bucks to get in and I was like, oh, man, I've never heard of this band. And so I, I snuck in the back elevator and I always kind of had to look like I was in bands. So they just assumed I was like a roadie or in the band. But anyway, I was like floored. Like they were amazing. It's the Avid Brothers, if you're wondering who the band is. Never heard of them. Look them up from North Carolina. Great. But um, so I snuck in. So the whole time, though, I'm like, you know, kind of avoid the security guys and the bouncers. And like, you know, I don't have the wrist thing on. So I'm kind of doing one of these because I'm afraid. Years later, uh, I've seen them multiple times. I went to a concert and I'm just like, yeah, I'm up in the front. And I'm like, yeah, singing the song, doing all the stuff because I've got the wristband on, right? I've got the access. I'm able or if you, if you went to, you know, you ever stung to a party, right? You're like, I'm going to try to grab some food really quickly and let's get out of here, right? Versus being like, man, I'm supposed to be here. Like, I'm, I'm going to feast on the buffet. And that's how it is now. But we can draw near with confidence when we enter the presence of God with reverence and faith because of what Jesus did. So we, it's not, we don't go to God based on what we've done, based on what Jesus has already done, already accomplished on our behalf. And here's what happens if we actually do this. You know, one of the ways that many of us probably approach the presence of God is, is through his word. And there is, yes, sure, there's an intellectual side to this, right? I just already mentioned, like, the study Bibles, you know, like, that sounds like an intellectual thing, right? But there is something about knowing, right? Facts and knowledge. But because of what Jesus did, we can draw near to God. And even when we read and spend time in his word and scripture, it can, it's first and foremost an act of worship. God, I want to spend time in this, not because I want to... Uh, you know, at, at Bible study or something, I want to be the one with the answer. I want to, I want to read this because I want to draw near to you. I want to know you more. It's an act of worship that we draw near to God in that way. You see, it's much bigger than just getting facts and, and knowledge about God, but it's drawing near to His presence because Jesus has made a way that we can now do that. And so as a church, I want us to consistently draw near to God through prayer and through His Word as a reminder that Jesus made that way possible. And so here's what the author of Hebrews is communicating. is that because of Jesus, we can now approach and draw near to the presence of God with confidence. So I just took the last 10 minutes to tell you what I, what I could have told you in five seconds. You're welcome. Number two. That brings me to four exhortations in light of this reality. So Jesus has done the work. Because of Jesus, we now have access. And now here's four exhortations in light of that reality for us. Verses 22 through 25. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Our first exhortation is that we should draw near to God. We don't do this to earn access to God. Jesus has already given us the VIP access. Like he's made that available. And this isn't just for individuals. This is for us collectively that we can approach God together. And yes, 
We do have our individual relationships, but we do it together. As, as a culture, or as a, as a church, and meaning more than just our church, but the church, I think we need to push back on the individualism of our culture. One, one book I highly recommend next to the Bible is When Church Was Family. I recommended that book to somebody yesterday. It's, it's an incredible book that digs really deep into a lot of historical context that we don't understand on what it means to really be part of a church and really this idea of family. There is no Lone Ranger Christianity. I'm coming across this more and more and more. It's nothing new, but it's designed so that we can approach God together. Now, hopefully I'll unpack that for us a little bit. But this idea that we have this confidence, I think about um, my own children, right? They have confidence and access to me that other people's kids do not. Right? Other people's kids come up to me and I'm like, get off of me, you're annoying me. You know, I hope I'm not that mean. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like, people's kids just come up to me at the park. Like, no, like, no, you can't have this, this popsicle. Or no, you can't have this thing, right? My kids can approach me. Now, I may always, I may not always say yes, but they have this confidence. Because why? Because I'm their father. Right? They have no problem asking me for anything. We went to the Mississippi Street Fair yesterday, right? And for the whole, like, 15 blocks or whatever it is. Like, Dad, can I get this? Dad, I want this. Dad, why? They have this confidence. I can, I can go to his presence. I can ask him for these things. It's the same way with God, right? We are his children. And he doesn't always say yes. He doesn't always grant us what we want. But we can enter with confidence to him. And so that's our, that's our first exhortation. The second exhortation is hold fast to the confession of our hope. Can we get to the second exhortation? Next. Hold fast to the confession of our hope. For the original audience, the author is communicating, do not return to Judaism. Because that represented their old way of living. He's saying, rather, I want you to hold fast to your new way of living. That's been given to you in Christ, including the access and the rights and the privileges that come with being a son or daughter of his. Uh, a few years ago, our family went to Great Wolf Lodge. And my oldest son and I wanted to go out and ride some water slides. Um, how many of you have been to Great Wolf Lodge? Just a couple of you, right? So there's one not far from here. It's a great thing to go do in the winter. But um, we wanted to ride some water slides. And, and he was really kind of the only one old enough at this time to ride water slides. And so we found a water slide and we just got in line. I was like, let's go. Let's, let's have fun. Well, we didn't read the description. Or we failed to read the description. And he probably couldn't even read it at the time. So I failed to read the description. And if we had, here's what the description would have said. It would have said, Howling Tornado. Take a super fast thrill ride in a raft built for four. The swiftly tilting twist and turns of this water park favorite will have you howling even before you drop into the six-story funnel of fun. If you've ever driven to Seattle, you see it on the, on the, on the left-hand side of the highway as you're driving. You see this big, this huge loop. That's what that is. So we get on the ride, right? And we start out okay because you're like, oh, we're on this, we're going to have fun. And it goes pitch black. And we drop. What felt like forever, and all I can hear is my oldest screaming out of fear. And as a result, what do I do? I'm screaming because I can't see him. So I'm screaming, hold on, just hold on, hold on as tight as you can. Because my fear was that he was going to let go and fly into the air because you're, you're literally dropping down like this. So I'm like, I can't let go, and I can't, I can't even see where he is. So I'm just like, hold on. And so the author here is admonishing us as a church, as Christ will do the same thing. He's saying, just hold on. He's saying, hold fast, hold tight as you can. Don't waver, don't falter, don't return to your old way of living, even when it looks appealing. He's saying, just hold on, because God is faithful. God will see you through. God will accomplish his work. 
Look, I know it's tough. We live in a fallen and a broken world. I think we forget that. What's, a lot of times, you know, I, I, I'm guilty. You forget that once you become a Christian. Like, wait a minute, the world is still fallen and broken. Anything that's fallen and broken is difficult, challenging, right? So life is hard. You might be experiencing hell on earth. I don't know what everyone's experiencing. But I think the author here would say, just hold on. Because he, Jesus, is worth it. He's promised to see you through. As we often sing, he is faithful through all generations. And so hold fast to the confession of our hope, to the gospel, to that message that, that, was the, what, that first prompted you to give your life over to Jesus and his way. Which brings me to our third exhortation. Be intentional when we gather. I probably should have stopped it there, but be intentional when we gather and how to stir and encourage our brothers and sisters in greater love and greater service. There's a reason that God has given you the church. More specifically, I would say there's a reason God's given you your local faith family, in this case, Sojourn. And we're not to show up as passive participants, but we are to be active participants in the body. And so when we gather on Sundays, it's not just about what Ben is doing up here. It's not just about what I'm doing right now. It's not just about our kids' volunteers. But we literally all have a role when we gather. Tony Marita says, Gathering together is one of the ways that God designed to sustain and to bless his people for long-term obedience. He goes on to say, and I would agree with him, he says, I meet Christians who are attending a church gathering weekly, and they're not thriving in their faith. So you might hear that and go, man, I'm doing it, but I'm not thriving. He said, but I have never met a Christian who does not gather who is. I've got someone who may be listening to this later. So I'm not going to use their name. They told me this morning. But I regularly get messages from them on, uh, on Instagram. And so that's your plug for, for the person who knows who you are if you're listening. But, but part of what the, what the messages that we have back and forth, and this person's giving their life to Christ, is uh, there's, there's just different struggles they're expressing to me. And so I keep coming back to the same thing. Have you found a church? And they're here local. I say, it's okay if it's not sojourn. And I recommend all the other churches, right? I put them, try these, try these. And uh, as far as I know, this person has not followed through on that. And so I say, what I keep coming back to is that you are going to continue to have these struggles. You're going to continue to have these battles that you're dealing with if you're neglecting to be around God's people because God has designed it that we encourage one another. Did you know that every single one of you, and you might deny this, but you all have a gift and then maybe an act of service that God has given you? And you might say, I don't. You do. And maybe if it's one. And that God has given you that in part so that you can use that and encourage one another. Nate Aiken, a pastor in, I think he's actually in Tennessee now. He was in North Carolina, but he gives us nine things to consider when we gather as a church. The first one is, who can I encourage today? So when you, when you come to gather with us on the weekend, think about, who can I encourage? Now, you might be the one who needs encouragement, but the weeks that you're like, you know what? Who can I encourage? Because I guarantee somebody in this room this morning needs encouragement. And you think nobody else does? I'll be honest with you, there's many weeks that I need encouragement. <laughs> Number two, he says, pray on your drive to where you gather to worship. Right? Some of you drive... Some of you walk, <laughs> walk, bike, some of you drive. Take that time and pray for, for our worship gathering. Pray for the message. Pray for those who will be there. Pray for, for the people you know in the church. Third one, and I'm not, I'm not really not trying to step on any toes here. This is somebody else, right? I didn't come up with this list. 
He says, come early and stay late. Okay? Here's what he says about it. And I was like, you know what? I kind of agree with this. So once again, this is a guy named Nate. Matt's not saying this. He said, when you go to a movie or a concert, what do you typically do? Typically, most of us show up early. Right? We're like, man, I, you know why? Because I paid money for this ticket and I really want to see Taylor Swift or you know, whoever it might be. Like you, you do that. But for some reason, and I think it goes back to individualism and the culture of the church, is we don't do that. What that shows is what we prioritize. And I would, I would argue that what we do here is way more important. Right? I love going to concerts. I love going to movies. I'll, I'll do some of that with some of you. But what we do here is of eternal importance. Here's another one. No, we're a small church, but sit with someone you don't know well or a new person. Right? We don't all know each other that well. That's part of what we're doing on Wednesday nights this summer. I love it. We're going to hear people's stories. But sit with somebody you don't know or, or sit somewhere else. I, I noticed that I moved over here and some of the people who used to sit over there are now over here at least this morning. And I'm like, I'm confused. <laughs> Is it the angle or what's going on? Um, number five is pray for someone. Right? I think we could all at base do that. Number six, it says consider serving, and, and if you do serve, do it with a, with a smile or a positive attitude. Number seven, offer to help someone when you see they need it. Right? We don't always express this, but if we, as we express things, right? It could be as simple as like, oh, that person's carrying a box and they're about to you know, fall over. Or, or you find out things are going in their life and say, man, can I, can I help with that? He says, they don't like this one. Number eight, he says, sing. So we are singing the truths of the gospel. Now, there's an article I'm going to send you this week. Right? I was hesitant to mention this because this, this is a challenging message. Uh, there's an article that I'm going to send you this week. And the reason I, I add those articles, if you look at our newsletter, I know some of you don't look at it, but if you do look at it, it's because uh, someone else is saying it. It's not me saying it. But they talk about it's okay to raise hands in worship. right? It's okay that you don't. right? I grew up in a tradition we didn't really do that. My wife grew up in a tradition really did that. And you can probably tell that, right? That's a compliment of each other. Um, right? And so, yeah, I, I do it the very Baptist way. Andrea's like, you know, but... It's okay to do it. And here's what the article basically says. If you go watch your favorite football team, or the Timbers, right? They play, they play the soccer team, right? And they score. What do most of us do? Like, go! Right? And you're cheering, and you're high-fiving, and you're scoring. And it's like, it's not this necessarily that same emotion, but like, it's okay, right? It's okay if you don't, right? Some of us are more just like naturally. Like for years, I was like, I'm not going to raise my hand. Like I feel weird doing all that. But, but it's okay, but in this case, sing, right? Like we're singing the truths of, of Scripture. And, uh, number nine is be an active listener for whoever is preaching. I said whoever, it's not always me. And so number three is be intentional when we gather, which leads me to number four. Do not neglect gathering together. This verse and this passage destroys the mentality that I don't have to be part of a church to be a Christian. To be clear, the church is not an event but there's a central importance, as I said earlier, of what we do when we gather. And so this text, some ways, offers a caution for us or a, or a warning for us. And I want to say this carefully and slowly and hopefully clearly. Feel free to ask me questions afterwards. If we treat gathering as the church as optional, that's possible. I'm not saying it, it is definitively is, but it's possible that we have walked away not only from God's people, but possibly from God himself. And so this is a caution and warning for those who would consider walking away from the church. And so I want to say this as gently and firmly 
as I can. The text here is saying that those who neglect to gather be active participants in the local church are not just in our words. What would we say in our words? We would say they're an irregular attender or they're an occasional attender. Right? We've got all the categories. Right? They're, they're this. But what the author is implying is they may in, not in actuality be a believer at all. And that's a really hard warning for us. That's uncomfortable for me to even as, as I was looking at this morning. This morning I was like, do I want to say that? Do I, want, do I want to go there? And 1 John 2.19, later on, it says, they went out from us because they were never of us. When I, hit, when I came across that verse this week, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Because I have, I have friends, I have family, who over the years I've watched. I've had people come through Sojourner's Doors who, who I've watched, not go to another church, but who've just left church altogether. And it pains me. Now, this is not saying that you can lose your salvation, because you cannot. What it's arguing, what it's saying is that it's possible that they were never truly saved to begin with. Because when we neglect gathering, it's like saying this. Hopefully, this will help bring it home, right, if I've lost you. I love you, Matt, and I want to share a relationship with you, but I cannot stand The church is the bride of Christ. So it's like saying, God, I love you. I want this relationship with you. I can't stand your bride. I had someone tell me not that long ago. I'm going to keep it very big. They didn't say the bride. They said the church. They meant the church, not our church. But they said, I love, I love, I've got a relationship with God, but the church is BS. Now, I know part... In our day and age, right, there's documentaries. I don't have to tell you about them. There's, news, right? there's, there's a reason there, right? So I'm like, there's a time and a place to leave a church, right? I'm not saying just be part of an abusive situation. But in the most holistic form, it's like someone coming to me and saying, man, I love you. I want to hang out with you, but I can't stand your life. So I say this in love. This isn't saying there's no chance for that, those individuals, right? So once again, don't mishear me here. We serve a God, a loving God, who welcomes back prodigals. So even those people who that's their story, right? I was yesterday at a coffee shop with our team who's from Texas. Guess where the manager of this coffee shop is from? Texas. Guess what he used to do? Student pastor. Guess what else he used to do? Worship leader. Guess what he does now besides manage coffee? He doesn't attend church. He doesn't want anything to do with church. But I'm engaging and interacting and trying to, his story. It's a song that we just sang. There's no guilt within. The Savior is standing there. So for even those who it's their story, we have a God who's welcoming us back. And so there is a chance and there is a hope that those in this category can and will return. And so this isn't saying we've written them off and have no relationship with them. It's saying God's saying, come back. And for those of us here, I think he's saying, do not neglect to do this. Because apparently at this time, and who's writing to it really points back to if you go to the early church in Acts, it's like, man, some people are getting away from it. They're neglecting the church. They're neglecting to prioritize that being part of their relationship. And so if you want to know if you're a Christian, it sounds bad how I wrote it, but it's not whether you pray to prayer, right? I think that is important. It's not just if you, if you ask Jesus into your heart. 
how are you loving your brothers and sisters? It's holistic. And when we fail at these, because we all do, myself included, I'm not up here saying, man, I'm perfect. I mean, I've told you before, let me know a secret, though. There's weeks I don't want to attend our church. <laughs> there it is. See, I feel freedom when Andrea's not in the room. <laughs> There's weeks I don't want to preach. Oh, on weeks that I have to. On weeks that I'm scheduled to. And so when we fail at these, we remind that Christ so loved us that he died for us. And he continually extends the invitation for us to return. Remember that veil has been torn. So even when we feel like, man, right? So this, hopefully this message, this isn't a guilt message. Like, hopefully it's not what you're walking away with today. The message of man is holistic. That, man, like, let's be reminded of what God did through Jesus. That, like, we actually have access to him now. I think that's part of it. Is we, the, the further removed from that event history, the more we're like, well, it's always there, right? And in some ways that's true. But and we have access to something that at one time was for the elite priest who might be killed. And so that's, I think, what the reminder is for us. And so how do we live our lives out of our position in Christ in a way that stirs up one another towards encouragement, love, and good works? And so here's part of it. The fact that you have a gift, the fact that we are to encourage one another, is that it's, it's, it's about all of us. And so when you're not an active participant, in some way what you're doing is you're robbing the rest of the church, the rest of the body, from the gift that you offer, and love, and, uh, that you offer to us. And hopefully, hopefully there's some understanding there. I'm going to finish with four action steps by Gavin Ortland. Notice I use other people's things and get mad at them, not me. <laughs> it's just uh, it's four quick ones. First is recognize that you need your church and your church needs you. That if, if, if you choose not to be an active participant, that it will impact your spiritual health. That we need your voice. Right? So hopefully that's what you walk away with. Not, oh, I need a... Show, no, no, like we need your voice. We need your encouragement. You have something to offer us. Like you're uniquely designed by our creator. You have something to offer our body that nobody else has. Maybe think of it that way. There's something that you offer that nobody else in this room can offer. We need your prayer. We need your joy. Second is sanctify Saturday nights. This is getting real practical. If you have a big meeting coming up at work tomorrow, what do you do tonight? My guess is you prepare, probably go to bed early, right? Like you're ready for it. You want to be fresh for it. Or if there's a big game as an athlete, right? You eat right, you get enough rest, all those things. And then we should approach gathering the same way, that you prepare for Sunday on Saturday. Third, prepare for drama at home on Sunday morning, right? Life happens. Arguments happen. The breakfast gets burned. The coffee forgets to get made or you forget to buy coffee. But you mentally prepare that, you know what? Those things are going to happen. And I know they're going to happen. So you just kind of like, right? For me, it's all about expectations in my world. And probably it's the same for you, right? If you go, no, tomorrow morning, this is probably going to happen. And you just kind of anticipate it. You just kind of go with the flow of that a little bit more. Fourth, have special traditions on the day of gathering. Make this day special. Like part of it is here. Like we went through this in our Sabbath practice. For those of you that are with us in our Sabbath practice, go for a nature walk. I mean, we, we live in one of the areas of the country. Like you can actually do that like year round. Read a spiritual book. Go to a park. Eat lunch out with your family or with us as a church, like Sabbath, right? Make this day, like, not just this is one aspect of my day, but make this as, as, as part of it, but then just as a holistic day of just delighting in the presence of God. You get to do that with others, and then you get to do it a little bit on your own as well. So let me pray for us, and we're going to respond this morning.
God, we thank you for not only saving us to yourself, but also to one another. Guys, uh, this can be a hard text depending on how you come into it and how you look at it. And so I do pray that it was clear of just the what it is that you've given us, the, the gift that you've given us in one another, the gift that you've given us in a faith family so that we don't have to do this alone. Life is lonely enough, but God, you have provided us with the blessing of having others when, as, as we go on this journey. And so God, I pray that that was made clear this morning. I pray that any, anything that maybe came across as uh, harmful or, or mean-spirited, any of that, God, I pray that you would remove that as that wasn't my intent at all. I pray that anywhere that maybe it, it seemed it was more heavy-handed, my word, not your word, God, that, that, that you could clear that up as well. And God, that, that the, the point was just how it is that we all have something to offer when we are together. And that we are called not to neglect doing that regularly. God, I do thank you for my brothers and sisters. I hope they know that I love them, every single one of them. God, I pray for them by name every single week. And that's a joy and pleasure to get to do life with them, to get to walk with them. God, we give this rest of this morning over to you. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.